Hey, what's up? You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show podcast. Thanks for checking it out and make sure you subscribed. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it. All right, Hammer, you got the numbers in front of you there. Another uh, violent weekend in Indy. Please don't try to tell me that certain parts of this city are safe and that we are overblowing the situation. I'm, I'm sick and tired of getting those tweets. Um, you got the numbers. I'll let you. I, I can't even bring myself to read them. So 10 people shot, three stabbed, um, three killed. Oh. This is Friday through Sunday alone. That's a total of 13 people either shot or stabbed, three people killed. And we woke up to the news that a 13-year-old girl, 13, taken into custody with one of the overnight shootings. I think they just mentioned that uh, earlier, too, and they said that uh, it, it turned out to be an accident. But still, you've got a 13-year-old girl accidentally shooting off a gun, hitting somebody. It's... It, it's uh, the you know irresponsible gun owners it just kind of drives you nuts right all the all the people that do it the right way and then you have something like this a 13 year old gets her hand on a gun and and this happened so again you look at the numbers in this city we are still on pace to be over 200 homicides this year um this would be the third straight year where indianapolis would be over 200 homicides 200 homicides cannot be the norm in the city despite what the prosecutor will tell you despite what the mayor will tell you and certain liberal writers and tv hosts in the city this is not progress just because you're not shattering a record does not mean we're making progress in this city Again, the 13-year-old girl, okay, fine, it was an accident. But how many times have we came in here on a Monday, Nige, and we talked about 14-year-olds? high percentage of juveniles are involved in these gun crimes, for oh, sure. Be careful calling them juveniles, because while you were gone in Florida, during the prosecutor debate, uh, Ryan Mears was asked by Rafael Sanchez about the juvenile violence, and instead of focusing on the question at hand, the current prosecutor wanted to play semantics. Are you too soft on youth? Are they getting away with whatever they want to do? First of all, they're not juveniles, they're kids. And the second part of it is when we talk about habitual offenders, kids aren't habitual offenders. Young people aren't habitual offenders. They don't have a criminal record yet. And so the challenge is when you have these intervention points with these kids, what can you do to make a difference in someone's life? You know, when you were dealing with kids who are involved in violence, you need to figure out why is that kid involved in violence? What is the motivating factor? And there does have to be consequence. But there's a lot of kids that we come into contact with in the criminal justice system who just need a chance and an opportunity. Again, that's therapist uh. Ryan Mears, <laughs> not prosecutor Ryan Mears. All of a sudden, he wants to have a social conversation. Let's sit down and let's figure out the root cause of all this. And How about you do your job? And in the meantime, if they do commit a violent act, you know, we'll have to let them out. We'll, we'll see. We'll figure out the root cause of everything that's going on. They're not juveniles. They're kids. And because they're kids, they don't have a criminal record. No, they're juvies. Okay. Right. And everybody knows a habitual problem when they see it. Stop dancing around the question. And again, this is all on the heels of Starbucks here on Monument Circle uh, closing down here in the next couple of days, citing violence as the reason. Now, again, a lot of people trying to twist themselves up into a pretzel saying that, oh, downtown's safe. Downtown's fine, including Ryan Mears when he had a little back and forth with Cindy Carrasco on that debate one week ago. 
our reputation, that our city, that our downtown is not safe, is not good for business. It's not good for Marion County, and it's not good for our city. First of all, downtown is safe. Uh, downtown is safe. <laughs> I guess the uh, owners of the Starbucks there on Monument Circle have a different take on that. Right. Uh, that theory. And keep in mind, this wasn't some right-wing company. This wasn't Billy Bob's Barbecue Shop that said, you know what, maybe this very blue city of Indianapolis isn't the best place for our business. This was Starbucks, the most woke company oh, out they, there. they donate out the wazoo to social justice causes all over the place. And even they're like, yeah, this is a little too much for us, and people are... Are, are trying to spin it like, well, uh, you know, it's actually Starbucks is oversaturated. They just opened one down the street, so that's why this one's closing. That's really what it is. No, no. it's just homeless guys don't fondle themselves on the one around the street. <laughs> they do it on the one on Monument Circle. And by the way, you mentioned a barbecue place. There was a barbecue place right down this, right down uh, on the same block as, as Starbucks that did close down after the riots because they, uh, I know the owners, they felt like they weren't protected in the least by the uh, current administration. And they, if something like that ever happened again, they didn't want to be in that position. So they left. And if... You remember correctly, uh, there were some businesses that decided to board up their windows when other instances of social yeah. justice chatter started making their way around, and they were criticized for it. Yeah, the same people that are wondering, well, why is Starbucks shutting down? They said it's not safe. What are you talking about? It was the same people that were criticizing businesses for boarding up when a controversial uh, legal decision came down, like uh, I think it was Breonna Taylor right. last year the year before that um <laughs> the recency bias you've got recency bias it's not a good look for our uh protesters you're sending the, the wrong, wrong message, message to the rioters <laughs> again you guys have the opportunity to change some of this conversation election day coming up uh speaking of election day coming up the indiana senate debate was last night and boy was it bad we love you guys all right nigel right. and i we love you so much we watched this dumpster fire. We missed the end of the Chiefs and the Bills game so we could watch this mm. for you guys. You're welcome. You're welcome, Indianapolis. Uh, you had the incumbent Republican Senator Todd Young. You had the Democratic challenger Tom McDermott and the Libertarian candidate James Seniak. And again, none of these guys look like they wanted to be there either. I'm pretty sure they were all watching the Chiefs and Bills game on their phone <laughs> while they were at the podium because this thing was a dud. I, I, I thought Todd Young was most polished. Obviously, he's the most experienced. I thought McDermott, the Democrat, held his own. Seniak, uh, the Libertarian, is is somebody that I like as well, but he, he just didn't seem as, as prepared. I, I like his policies, though. I, I really don't care what the presentation was like. Just tell me what your policies are. But see, the presentation matters. I know, I understand. Because this is the second yeah. debate that I've watched featuring a libertarian, because um, I missed you know the one where Diego Morales wasn't there. I go back to the gubernatorial debate where Rainwater was there. And yes, I like his policies, but somebody's got to coach these people up a little bit better. You can't stand up there like Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney, sweat <laughs> pouring off your head, stuttering. Uh, uh, that doesn't play well, man. You guys are the ones that really have to throw a no-hitter up there. You don't have the money. You don't have the name recognition. You damn well better be close to perfect. And that includes a little bit of training on how to do these debate things. It was such a mess. And again, I feel bad for Cineac because I know he doesn't get the attention 
But, man, yeah. you got to do a better job than that. And with McDermott, the Democratic challenger, honestly, 30 minutes, first 30 minutes of this debate, he was perfect. He said everything that would probably sway a voter that was undecided. But, man, the last 30 minutes when all of the woke stuff started coming out, that's when the wheels fell off. Uh, here are some highlights in case you missed it. Um, so here's Todd Young with a straight face talking about how, yeah, you know, a lot of uh, Biden's exuberant spending and taxes are hurting people. We know that they are hurting. They are hurting as a result of the multi-trillion dollar tax and spend policies of the Biden administration. Right there, if I'm one of these other guys, I ring in. Uh, yes, I'd like to have a rebuttal. You he voted. signed off on yeah. pretty much all of it. Todd Young signed off on pretty much all of it. Um, this is the Democratic challenger, McDermott. This is when he started to lose people. Again, had a great first 30 minutes, but then all the climate change oh, ridiculousness. And what we need our elected leaders to do is lead on this issue. Senator Young, lead and tell the people why we need to make these investments in clean energy. That's why I supported the Inflation Reduction Act, and I was so happy to see it made the biggest investment in green energy in American history. And I think that's leading, and we need to explain to the American people why we're doing what we're doing, and then we need to convince China, India, and the rest of the world to follow our example in America. Oh, we're just going to convince them. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Good luck with that, yeah, Tommy. You, you, you <laughs> get on a jet over there there and uh convince old Gigi ping or whatever his name is uh they don't the, respect the president let alone the junior senator from the state of indiana yeah and in china is one of the worst emitters of, of carbon dioxide and uh, fuels and all that stuff i mean they're the, india china they don't care so get your uh, debate bingo card ready because you knew somebody was going to do it. And Tom McDermott took the bait. He compared federally codifying abortion up until the moment of birth to abolishing slavery. Senator Young made the argument that he thinks Indiana should be the one that gets to make the decision on whether or not women have the right to privacy to have this procedure done. But we didn't give that right once it was granted to the southern states after the Civil War when we passed the Civil War Amendments. Oh, here if we, we gave go. states the right to whether or not to enforce the Civil War Amendments, there are some states that would have chosen, that would have chosen to discriminate against African Americans. So there's some rights that have to be established by the Supreme Court and cannot be taken away, and that includes the right to an abortion and I'm 100% pro-choice, and I'm going to fight to codify Roe versus Wade when I become your senator. Okay. Here's a little politics 101 for any candidate. Okay, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whoever. Don't compare things to the Holocaust and don't compare things to slavery. slavery. Thank you for coming to my <laughs> TED Talk. It's a beautiful day. You're listening to The Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. We'll go to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on Kevin Bowen from 107.5 The Fan KB. I actually, uh, for once in my life, had a good time watching that Colts game yesterday. It was kind of fun uh, watching them uh, win. Uh, what was it? Was it 34-27, the final score at Lucas Oil Stadium? What's your uh, overall view of what you saw out of the Colts yesterday? Yeah, certainly a different feeling than 12 to 9 on Thursday night yeah. football the week prior. <laughs> uh, you know, I think in general, guys, it's the best Colts fans should feel exiting Lucas Oil, exiting a Sunday on a, on a Monday all season long. Um, I thought there were some moments from Sunday that we just haven't seen this season. Um, your two biggest negatives, pass protection and turning the ball over. Uh, those things were nowhere to be found. You were very sound in protecting Matt Ryan. 
and then Ryan himself did a wonderful job of you know, handling the no huddle, the quicker tempo. I thought that was a really smart decision by Frank Reich in trying to give this offense a jolt and help out the offensive line. Uh, and then when you need it the most, of course, you cashed in on a play to remember in, in Matt Ryan finding Alec Pierce for the game when he touched down. Yeah, he did settle awesome. for a long-distance field goal. Uh, but I thought that was a big play-to-win moment, not necessarily hope that you know Jacksonville would or hope, I guess, that Chase McLaughlin would make the long field goal. You were trying to win the game at that moment. So I think just a lot of stuff you can point to of like, okay, this is these are good signs. These are positive developments. And I don't feel like there were as many of those in the two previous wins. So, KB, what changed? Why was this week different than, say, Denver or the first Jacksonville game? Because we've all been pretty critical of Frank Reich, and I think that's been fair. Yesterday, it seemed like it was kind of a different philosophy from Frank. And to his credit, I thought it went really well yesterday. What's different? Yeah, well, let's start with the tempo and the no huddle. Um, basically, after that week two shutout in Jacksonville, I think Frank Reich reluctantly had to admit to himself, the Colts can't block Jacksonville. And with the offensive line performances in between, you know, the week two meeting down there, and then yesterday, they certainly didn't look like they were capable of blocking anybody, let alone a pretty good Jacksonville front. So, you know, Reich you know, said to himself a couple weeks ago, when we face Jacksonville again, we're going to have to go a little bit more up-tempo, a little bit more from a no-huddle standpoint uh, to try and kind of offset and help out what we're lacking right now in pass protection. Uh, and the results were great. The Colts had nine drives yesterday. Eight of those nine crossed the 50-yard line into Jacksonville territory. It was easily the most consistent they've moved it. And I thought what the no-huddle allowed them to do is, you know, and this was honestly going to be implemented before Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines were ruled out, the rushing offense hasn't been very good this season. And I thought it just helped a little bit of a quicker passing game to just kind of dink and dunk their way and stay out of those really devastating third and longs and just kind of methodically move their way down the field without the support of a run game. Yeah, I thought Matt Ryan took to the air a lot. I mean, he was breaking passing records yesterday, right? So a lot yeah, more. We saw a 40. lot more of uh, 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 passing out of Matt Ryan yesterday. I feel like, yeah, forty-two completions for him. That's a franchise record. So Jeez. that obviously is with some pretty rarefied air there. Um, the fifty-eight attempts for him, I think, were the most since twenty thirteen. Um, so yes, a vastly different approach. Um, and I thought it was critical to try and provide a little bit of a jolt. And early on, you know, you were down 14-3. It's not like you had instant success, but I thought you moved it early on. Um, and I know the defense didn't play well, but I thought there was a key play in the second quarter where Tyquan Lewis sacked Trevor Lawrence on a third down. Yeah. Uh, and that's when the Colts were down 14-3. They got a three and out. They got a stop. The offense finally put together a touchdown drive. They tacked on a field goal before half. And now it's 14-13. And I think when you look back at the first half, you felt pretty good about how the Colts ended that half. And then obviously they made enough plays in the second half. Kevin Bowen joining us from 107.5 The Fan. So let me be Debbie Downer here for just a moment, KB. Um, should we pump the brakes a little bit on the ticker-take parade? We're <laughs> acting like the Colts just won the Super Bowl. We beat the Jags at home. Like, aren't you supposed to beat the Jags at home? Uh, you are. Um, I will caution the Colts were also favored in their previous four divisional <laughs> games and did not win any of them. So baby steps uh, probably is how you would call it, Hammer. Yes, Jacksonville has not won a road AFC South game since December 2017. I mean, they are Jacksonville <laughs> for a reason. So 
yes, I, I don't think anyone should start planning, you know, Georgia Street Parade, you know, the second <laughs> week of February or anything like that. But I will reiterate what I said earlier. Based off the Kansas City win and the Denver win, there is more positive elements to this victory than there were in the previous two. Granted, the bar was set pretty darn low in the previous two. I think something in particular about yesterday is, you know, if you look at passing offense, rushing offense, rushing defense, passing defense, like those four areas of the game, two on each side of the ball, I was most skeptical this season about the passing offense. And yesterday, they did the heavy lifting they carried a big, big burden because your defense didn't play great. Your run offense was pretty quiet. It was the passing offense that really carried it. Yes, you're going to face better competition. You're going to have to do it on the road. You can't throw it 58 times every week. Jacksonville's not on your schedule every single week. You know, all of those things are very true, but it was a step forward. Is it a giant step that erases everything from the first five weeks? No, but it was a step forward. It was a must-have divisional win. And now, frankly, you set up a massive one this Sunday in the AFC South with a trip down to Tennessee, who's a half game above you in the division. One more thing before we let you go here. Uh, Sam Ellinger was bumped up to the backup quarterback position this past week, leapfrogging Nick Foles. Um, What's up with that? Is this a way to motivate Matt Ryan? Or were the Colts trying to figure out some sort of packages to get like a running quarterback in the mix? Is this a knock on Nick Foles? What's your takeaway from uh, moving Sam Ellinger from the practice squad up to number two? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think there's some owner influence behind this. I, I don't know if the Colts will come out and say that. But I do. Um, I, I, I think there's a little bit of that with this situation. I cannot see Frank Wright getting into a meeting last Monday and saying, um, we're going to bump Sam Ellinger up over the guy that I wrote the foreword to his book to, <laughs> Nick Foles, uh, based off what Sam Ellinger is doing as a scout team quarterback. I just, and, and you know, the Colts might disagree with me, but um, I think there are some whispers inside of that building that, um, this is something that, you know, I don't know if the owner, you know, it's probably unfair to say he demanded this or he forced this, but I think there was some influence in that if Matt Ryan were to get hurt, if Matt Ryan were to, you know, continue to struggle, then they would like to see Ellinger. And let me be very clear about this. I like the move. I am I, of the belief if you have an aging quarterback, I don't need to see 33-year-old Nick Foles come in for a game or two. We know who Nick Foles is. I would rather play the younger guy because, you know, I I probably always have one eye looking towards the future. So maybe I'm not totally accurate with that view, but that's how I look at backup. I know a lot of people think stopgap, a guy you can really trust on a short week, chaotic moment, all that. Yeah, that's fine and well. It's probably best for the short term. But, you know, when you've had the revolving door quarterback like this franchise has had, I don't think Sam Ellinger is the franchise QB by any means. But, you know, I've watched Nick Foles play in the NFL. I know who he is. I'd rather see the young guy get in there. So I, I thought it was a really interesting move that the Colts made. Uh, and, again, I think a little bit of influence uh, from the owner definitely played into it. Where can we get more coverage? Yeah, 107.5thefan.com is where all of the written content is. And then myself, Kevin Bowen, and Jay Query, we are 7 to 10 each morning on our sister station, 107.5 The Fan. Kevin Bowen, 107.5 The Fan, KB, thank you. Yep, always enjoy, guys. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. The only way to bag a classy lady is to give her two tickets to the gun show. It's Monday Gun Day with the gun guy. Just watch out for the guns.
Okay, I'll get you. Stop calling your arms guns. Hammer and Nigel Show, 93 WIBC. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here, also joining us live in studio. Second Amendment attorney, licensed firearms instructor, and host of the Gun Guys Show here on 93 WIBC. Guy Relford, how are you? I'm great, Nigel. Welcome back, by the way, Thank man. You. I Thanks miss for filling you. in for me, man. I, I, en- I enjoyed filling in, but I got to tell you, uh, you know, the show's not the same without you. Oh, so please. Uh, I'm glad you're back. But by the way, thanks as always to our sponsor for Monday Gun Day. That's Fort Liberty Firearms in Avon, 8401 East Highway 36. Great place to buy firearms, ammunition, or accessories. Check out my buddies at the Fort, FortLibertyFirearms.com. All right. So let's get into what's happening here with the FBI. So the FBI, they run the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, NICS. It's now requiring dealers to give gun buyers full addresses whenever they deny or delay a gun purchase? Yeah, this is creepy stuff, man. And I've had a lot of my friends who own gun stores who are what we call FFLs, Federal Firearms Licensees, call me and ask me about this because historically when... When NICS, that's as part of the FBI, as you said, does a background check as part of a gun purchase, they, they the the gun store just sends general identifying information: your name, your birth date. You know, they they don't give everything like your your address, where you live. And NICS runs a background check. They either give a proceed, which means go ahead and sell them the gun, a deny, which means don't sell them the gun, or a delay, meaning we want to take a, a look at this for another few days. And now what Nix is doing, this is the FBI, is saying that if they delay or deny anybody, that, that in order to continue that background check and that, that process for that person to buy that gun, the gun store has to send the, the person's full address and other identifying information to NICS, the FBI. And this is clearly for purposes of somebody from the federal government showing up on your doorstep, because I've had clients come to me and and say this has happened to them, show up on your doorstep and say, oh, you tried to buy a gun, but you got delayed or you got denied. We need to talk to you more about this. And 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 people listening to this may say, well, that doesn't sound like a bad deal. If a felon's trying to buy a gun, why shouldn't we go chase them down? But that's not what's going on because Nix gets it wrong a ton of times, a ton of times. Nix, for instance, they got confused about whether an Indiana expungement restores your gun rights. It does, but a whole bunch of people with expungements you know, that is, a conviction's been sealed off their record, their rights have been restored, um, that got denied. Well, now suddenly they're going to have an FBI agent or an ATF agent show up on their doorstep? Right. And it feels like what if there's a paperwork mishap or just a slow process? There's a lot of perfectly clean, law-abiding uh, citizens that are going to have an issue with this. They'll be delayed, too. I probably have 10 messages on my phone from over the weekend and today when I get back to my office this afternoon that I, I need to return with people saying, I was wrongfully denied a gun purchase. I know I have a clean record. You know, Can you help me? And yes, I will help those people. But for crying out loud, for the federal government basically to intimidate you that way, because that's what, I mean, they're do, they are literally doing this. They are showing up on people's doors. I've seen YouTube videos from around the country showing up on people's doors going you tried to buy a gun and <clears throat> you were denied so and you don't see a lot of media coverage over no. this you don't see this on abc cbs because this feels like this is kind of a big deal here when you're talking about constitutional rights it, it's absolutely right and 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 what it shows you is what 
the FBI, what the ATF, what they're doing under this administration. Because, and I've mentioned this to you guys before, for instance, ATF that oversees gun stores. I've had gun store owners, you know, come to me, and some of these are friends of mine, and they've said, you know, the ATF, my ATF guy, because there's, there's, a, there's a person from what they call industry operations at ATF, they, they show up and they, they do audits, you know, they check your paperwork, and they've said, historically, they've said, you know, I've always thought my job is to help you stay in business. My job is to help you stay on the right side of the law, man. And I'm being told by my superiors, these are people at ATF, now, um, and I'm being told by my superiors, my job is to find an excuse to put gun stores out of business. That's mm. the mentality of the Biden administration and how that's funneling down through the ATF and the FBI. And it's concerning, man. It's concerning. There's going to be a real fight for constitutional rights. Why would somebody get dinged like that? Like, why would somebody like what, what would be a legitimate excuse to, for them to delay a gun purchase? Well, a lot of times like, like um, a criminal background or something like that. And maybe, they, for instance, that's a great question, Nigel, because, for instance, I may have had a, a minor felony. Let's say I got two uh, OWIs, or what people call DUIs, within five years of each other. So the second one was a felony. But there's something called alternative misdemeanor sentencing, where I can go back later and have my felony reduced to a misdemeanor. So, And if I only have a misdemeanor that's been reduced, I'm not prohibited from buying a gun. So if that makes any sense, the, the FBI may look at that and say, oh, look, I see a felony conviction, but wait, there's more stuff going on after that. I better just take another look at that. So they'll delay the gun purchase so they can go back and take a second look. Or I'll tell you a better example. Um, is say you have a battery conviction, just battery. Well, in a bar fight or something. In a bar fight. And funny you say that because I came out of college. My job was working in bars, and I may or may not have, have had a couple of those sure, myself. Sure. But a, a simple misdemeanor battery conviction won't prevent you from buying a gun. However, if the victim of a battery is an intimate partner, as we call it, you know, wife, girlfriend, mm -hmm. live in, girlfriend, you know, et cetera, et cetera, then that now becomes a crime of domestic violence, and you can't buy a gun, even though the conviction is the same. If I punch a guy in a bar, that's battery. If, if, if uh, God forbid, I go home and hit my wife, that's a domestic battery, or it could be just battery. Well, so they need to investigate that and say, okay, who was okay. the victim? So, that, so they, they may delay it to decide whether or not I'm, I'm precluded from buying a gun. Can you stick around for one more sure, break absolutely. with us? All right. We got a lot more to get to. I want to get your thoughts on downtown Indy. Prosecutor Ryan Mears had the debate, said the famous words, downtown is safe. You are the gun guy, a big, <laughs> bad-ass American, and you were accosted by a lunatic on the circle. Yeah. So I want to get your thoughts on the safety aspect of downtown and more. More with you Guy betcha. Relford, the gun guy, when we come back. This is the Hammer and Nigel Show. It is the Hammer and Nigel Show. Guy Relford, the gun guy with us. Hey, man. So, Guy... Hey. Is downtown safe? Your opinion? <laughs> no, it, it it's not, and 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 it's a shame because, you know, we've had this conversation before, Jason, where we're both indie guys, right? I mean, we're we're from here, man. We're lifers. I've been coming down here since I was, you know, five years old, uh, or before, and uh, to see the amount of it's not just panhandlers; it's aggressive panhandlers, and then you see the crime, and then and then we have these reports of you know hell not long ago, and and you know, two blocks from here down Meridian Street there was over there were over a hundred shots fired, right 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 or some kind of a shootout and that was by the Steak and Shake a couple years ago. Yeah. Then you had the Dutch Commandos where one of them was shot and killed; the other ones were shot at. Yeah, I mean, and and you know what? I, I'm sorry, but but there's been 
maybe a minor amount of crime downtown over the years, but nothing like we've seen in the last couple of years. And and no, and 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 here, you know, for me, you know, being a six four, two hundred twenty five pound guy with a shaved head, and at the time, you know, I'm showing a bunch of tattoos at the time, and a reputation of packing heat. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. And I can't stress that enough. Your, your name, name is, is the, gun the gun guy. guy. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> I don't necessarily expect some lunatic. Uh, you know, aggressive panhandler on the circle to know what my radio show is all about. At the same time, I'm a 6'4 dude, you know, wearing a tight t-shirt, showing a bunch of tattoos, coming up here to do Monday Gun Day here not long ago, and some dude asked me for money. I say no. This is right in front of the circle theater. This is right on the circle. And he asked me for money. I, you know, I didn't say no. I just ignored him. And I just walked past him. Next, next thing I know, this guy's cussing at me. He's telling me he's going to end me. He's going to dust me. And there's all the you know, MF in this and MF in that in the meantime. And he said, look, dude, I'm going to kill you. Come back here and give me some money. Which when I turn around, looked at him square in the eye, and I, I said a little prayer. Please, God, don't make me shoot this guy in the face. And and that's <laughs> it's not uh, funny. I, 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 that's all I can do is laugh, though. It's like the one guy you don't want to mess with is nicknamed the, the gun, gun guy. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, but the point is, is that, is that if that guy's willing to do that to me, yeah. what would he do to my 91-year-old mom? What would he do to you know to my my you know my twelve year old granddaughter? Folks I mean, coming out of the theater, you know they do great shows over at the theater. You know Christmas time's coming up, and they always do like great holiday stuff. You're coming out of there with your family, and you've got lunatics like that guy. Right, and now the debate is you know Starbucks right on the circle just announced they're closing, right? And they said in the article, I think it was Fox fifty nine said, um, well one of the reasons we we're going to close is because we we have safety concerns for our employees, and and look I. Like I said, I'm 6'4", 225. I'm not, you know, a 90-pound, you know, little barista walking out of Starbucks. Right. And so if a guy's going to do that to me, what's he going to do to her? And that that and, and, and that's why it's a legitimate concern. Of course, everybody came out of the woodwork and said, oh, it's just an excuse, and there, there's a union issue, and who knows? Maybe that's true. But if that happened to me, then I, I, I have a legitimate concern about people's safety on the circle. And, and no, it's not. And and, it's, and that's the... That, that's the Hogsett administration. Uh, it's the Ryan Mears prosecutor's office. Uh, and it's IMPD not being allowed to do the job that they would like to do. So we got about a minute left here. Uh, the answer for the aggressive homeless, the aggressive panhandlers that Ryan Mears gave was, well, we're going to load him on a bus. We're going to take him and put him up in a hotel by the airport. Now, the worst kept secret in the city is that they've been taking people over to that Crown Plaza by the old airport for a long time. If you've ever wondered why the homeless population magically disappears when we host a Final Four or the oh, Big yeah. Ten Championship game or something like that, that's what happens. Your thoughts on that plan? Look, if you have a problem, warehousing your problem is not a solution. You look at the at the at the core issues that led to it. We we've had fewer money going into mental health counseling and substance abuse counseling in the state and in the city in the last few years than ever before. I mean, how about giving these people some help, right? And how about those that commit crimes? Let's actually arrest them and prosecute them and put their butts in prison as opposed to cranking them right back out because, oh, say, oh, you just threatened a dude on Monument Circle, so we'll spit you right back out and you'll be back right back out on the street. So it's a it, it's the policies of the prosecutor's office, but it's also, uh, also going to take some attention from the legislature and the city county council, who's been completely AWOL on this issue, to say let's actually – address the issue as far as its root cause, not just warehouse your problem. If anybody wants to continue the conversation, how can they find you? Uh, RelfordLaw.com is the best place, RelfordLaw.com. 
Guy, thank you. Thanks, man. Always a pleasure. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock Oh, we have something exciting for you. I'm ready. This is a historic moment here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. From the people who brought you legal stuff. Yes. From the people who brought you vaccine stuff. And even the people who brought you Halloween stuff, we're going to discuss the upcoming election. Okay. It's time for the world premiere of midterm styling, debates, Fetterman. Eagles are so much better than Eagles. Midterm stuff. Polling, debate, Fetterman. Midterm stuff. So let's talk about uh, the man, baby. That is uh, John Fetterman. He had another one of those moments that he's going to ride off to being a recovering stroke victim, which, again, I hope he gets better. Recovering from a stroke sucks. Anybody that's had a loved one that has had a stroke, you know it's a long climb back i hope he gets better but when you want to be one of the most 100 powerful people in the world when you want to be the one that has to decide my health care it's perfectly fine to point out that you're not all there mentally right now take a listen to this quote send me to washington dc to take on to make sure i push back against work to work Send me to Washington, D.C. Take on to make sure I push back against work to work. (laughs) I just got goosebumps. Now, we're going to play this one more time. I'm I'm, going to read you the the line, and then you're going to hear literally just one person, just one person in this crowd just kind of give you a really half-assed Ric Flair. (laughs) Woo! Quote, Send me to Washington, D.C. to take on to make sure I push back against work to work and then the sad, lonely Ric Flair woo. Send me to Washington, D.C. to take on to make sure I push back against work to work. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there is a crowd there. You can tell. But nobody knows what he's talking about. No. At that point, they're kind of just looking over at each other. This is our guy? I mean, this, this, is, this is it? This is the guy that wants to let second-degree murderers out of jail. This is a guy that can't do an interview without a teleprompter. Did you see that last week, the NBC News? He had to have a teleprompter there during the interview so she, he could he could follow along with the questions that were being asked. And when the NBC reporter had the audacity to say he had a hard time following the conversation, the woke blue checkmark Twitter went after her like she did yeah. something wrong. Um, checking in with the midterms, CNN's Dana Bash was asking Democratic gubernatorial candidate in Arizona, Katie Hobbs, why she refuses to debate her Republican opponent, Carrie Lake. Why won't you debate her? Look, Carrie Lake has made it clear time and time again that she's not interested in having substantive, in-depth conversations about the issues that matter to Arizonans. She only wants a scenario where she can control the dialogue, and she's refused to sit down in a one-on-one, lengthy conversation to really clarify with Arizonans where she is on the issues. She's the one who's afraid of of talking to voters where she's at. And we are doing everything we can to take 
to make our case directly to the voters of Arizona. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that when Arizonans who are struggling, when they go to open their ballot, when they're thinking about the fact that they're not sure how they're going to put food on the table, they're rationing their insulin, or they're thinking about having to drive their niece or their sister or their daughter to California to get the health care that they Oh, need. my God, stop they're talking. They're not going to look at their ballot and well, say, she just damn came it, and sat down. didn't debate her opponent. Then she just came and sat down with Dana Bash before right. she did. Like, and that's and, exactly and, what Dana Bash was getting ready to bring up to her. Like, you heard that long, drawn-out answer. Was there anything in there that you heard that make you say, oh, now I get why she doesn't want to oh, debate this woman? sure, no. First of all, she said Carrie Lake doesn't want to sit down and do a long-form interview. She just did with CNN. She'll do it with you. She said you could bring your uh, uh, your animal. Your, your, your service your, your animal. Service animal. <laughs> you could write the questions. Your emotional support animal with you if you want. You could write out the questions. You could ask uh, Joy Behar, have him ask him to, to us. You know, I'll do it in any setting you want. And I just think it makes her, makes her look like a coward. Right. And she knows she doesn't have anything close to the skills, uh, you know, in terms of being polished like Carrie Lake does. He's a journalist and a broadcaster for decades. Here's Dana Bash, to her credit, from CNN, pushing back a little bit on Katie Hobbs. She just came and sat down with me and, and answered my questions for, for a lot of minutes. Um, yeah. A lot of Democrats are questioning your decision, and they're saying, you know, it's the wrong decision. President Biden's former 2020 co-chair said, I would debate and I would want the people of Arizona to know what my platform is. If you think she's as dangerous as you're saying to democracy, is it your responsibility as a candidate who wants to run Arizona to show and explain who their alternative is? That is exactly what I'm doing right now. And there is a lot more ability to have a conversation with you without her interruptions and shouting uh, to do that. Uh, there's a lot more opportunities for me to uh, get my points across without you pushing back on them. <laughs> right. And how about you know? Dana Bash right there of CNN? I mean, she did, and she did push back uh, in terms of, of talking about why she won't debate. Right. But I mean, all in all, she's you know gonna sit there and get mostly softball questions but i'm glad she pushed her on that i seriously i think we were just a couple minutes away from dana bash making chicken sounds to her (laughs) trying to goad her into it like marty mcfly (laughs) nobody calls me chicken uh meanwhile in georgia a lot of attention focused on the senate race with herschel walker and Raphael warnock we'll get to that a little bit later on but don't forget Marjorie Taylor Greene running for re-election in the House, and she had a debate against her challenger, Marcus Flowers, and needless to say, MTG brought the heat. The Democrat Party is the party of child abuse. It's the party that represents grooming children and sexualizing them in school, teaching anti-white racism in the terms of CRT education, and genital mutilation of kids, kids that can't even get a driver's license, can't get a tattoo, and cannot vote. How do you stand there and represent the Democrat Party as a father? And do you believe in genital mutilation of children under the age of 18 and, and these puberty blockers? Mr. Flowers, your response. <laughs> there's but quite these, a bit, right? There's quite a bit to go off these right debates there. Debates are so much more exciting than the ones we were having in this state. Like, first of all, Diego Morales didn't even show up for the secretary. Diego yeah. wasn't there. Did I, did I sing it right, Kyle? Did I hit the Austin Powers right? You nailed it. To take me to the fair. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, the, you know, the, the Senate the Senate debate is what it is. It was what it was last night. We don't have any fireworks like that. The Senate debate last night in Indiana was Celebrity Jeopardy. Like, those three, they did not prepare anything. Nobody came off good. I felt sorry for our pal Dr. Laura Wilson, who had to moderate that thing. <laughs> like, remember when Will Ferrell used to have to be Alex Trebek yeah. in Celebrity Jeopardy? Yeah. And we've reached a new low. <laughs> like, that's how I felt about Dr. Laura last night. Uh, guess who's ripping on cancel culture? One Barack Hussein Obama. Um, he did a podcast, and he called the Dems a buzzkill, and he ripped on cancel culture. Quote, they think about them in terms of the life I'm leading day to day. How does politics, how is it even relevant to the things that I care most deeply about? My family, my kids, work that gives me satisfaction having fun, not being a buzzkill, and sometimes Democrats are. End quote. So you've got probably wow. the face of the party— probably not even probably the face of the party, Barack Obama saying you guys are a buzzkill. And then he ripped on cancel culture. I think where we get into trouble sometimes is when we try to suggest that uh, some groups, because they historically have been victimized more, um, that somehow they have a status that's different than other people. And that we're going around scolding folks if they don't use exactly the right phrase. You have to understand, he's campaigning down in Georgia for Warnock and Abrams. And you have to remember, those people did not want to be seen with Joe Biden. They'd rather be seen with with a guy that was president before Trump. Right. And Two-term so that's, that's president. What he's doing. And it's only a couple of weeks before the midterms. And I think the Democrats are getting desperate here. They're bringing out their big guns, but yeah. is this really going to help Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock when the guy that's stumping for you says, basically, cancel culture sucks yeah. and stop being professional victims? Um, after hearing those words and he also podcast, said stop, And he also said stop concentrating on Trump. That's one of the other things. Quit worry, quit talking about Trump. He's not even president. He hasn't even, he hasn't even announced that he's officially running yet. Talk about the issues that your voters care about. Stop talking about trump was an indirect shot at january 6th and hearing the words of the former president kind of took me down a rabbit hole why don't we do some great moments in presidential speeches Ooh, okay great moments in presidential speeches someday years from now our children will run on batteries made in korea great <laughs> oh. moments in presidential speeches well, i look forward to that well okay Emma and Nigel presents is it depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Is this anything? Yeah, Hammer, how do we play Is This Anything? I will run stories by you. You will break down all the info, and you'll tell us if the story in question is anything or not. All right. Is this anything? May have seen this on social media. Museum goers in London were shocked when two anti-oil protesters threw tomato soup on one of Van Gogh's famous sunflower paintings. I think we retweeted this uh, a couple days ago. They also superglued their hands to the wall while one of them made this statement. Worth more than justice, 
Are you more concerned about the protection of a painting or the protection of our planet and people? The cost of living crisis is part of the cost of oil crisis. Fuel is unaffordable to millions of cold, hungry families. They can't even afford to heat a tin of soup. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something, but can you be concerned with both? Can I? Am I allowed to go to a museum and appreciate a Van Gogh painting, and also also be concerned about gas prices? No, like these you people, have to pick. <laughs> so they should have glued both their hands to the wall, and they just left them there and made them part of the museum piece. Right. Like they made, made them part of the exhibit. Prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law, and I hope they get beaten in prison. Now they they were they, <laughs> now they were arrested, and the painting was covered by glass, so it wasn't damaged. I think they it was back out on display a few hours later. I like the one. Have you seen the footage of the um, the uh, animal? rebellion protesters pouring out the milk at the grocery store yes <laughs> they were demanding a plant-based future and pouring out all the milk this guy tried to step in there and just get a half gallon of two percent <laughs> it wouldn't let him through again i'm not saying that violence is the answer for everything but there are some people that just need punched in the face. And if you go to a museum and try to destroy one of the most beautiful pieces of art this world has ever seen, you need to be punched in the face. I'm sorry. Sometimes it has to happen that way. Perhaps it's the only way certain people will learn. Is this anything? Another pre-flight meltdown was caught on camera. Oh, no. A young woman got escorted off of a flight from Atlanta to New York after throwing a little bit of a temper tantrum. She went nuts because they wouldn't let her dog sit on her lap. Nope. As they are about to toss her off the flight, a passenger tells her to get off the plane, and she threw a water bottle at him. Bye. Because you couldn't let my dog sit on my lap? Ma'am, let's go. you. All of you. I am! Shut the Hey, no. Yeah, this is something. Again, the no-fly list. You're at the top, lady. Never should be allowed on a plane ever again. Have fun riding Greyhound the rest of your life. I'm with you. See, when you run for mayor of Zionsville, that's the kind of campaigning that I want to hear, Notch. <laughs> and you have to, if you're carrying a dog, I've had to do it before. When I lived in Austin, we had a puggle, and we had to put it in a little um, uh, carrier, and we had to keep it under the seat. You couldn't set it on your lap. You couldn't take it out of the bag. You couldn't set it, you know, it had to, it was this little cloth. I mean, maybe it had, I don't know what kind of material it was, but you had to keep it in there and, and you just had to make do for a couple hours. Sorry, lady. You didn't, you didn't feel like you had to throw a fit on an airline and throw a water bottle at somebody and scream no, and yell? And, and that guy didn't press charges either, I read in the article. So I, I would have been first in line to, I, I would have delayed my, the flight to make sure she went to jail. Would I be considered in poor taste if my first thought was, I want to try to get something for free from the airline here? Yeah. I sat on your flight. I got a water bottle thrown at me. Can you at least hook me up with a back and forth to Vegas one yeah, time? Sure. That's all I'm asking for. Or maybe for. a couple of free drinks at least. At the very least. I don't think that's asking too much. Um, Dr. Laura Wilson, she was the moderator of this debate that took place last night. And boy... She had to work really hard to get some information out of these people. She did a great job. We will talk to her coming up. This is the Hammer and Nigel Show. And we're back. Hammer and Nigel.
Nigel Show, 93 WIPC. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. We watched the uh, Senate debate last night, so you wouldn't have to. Uh, right. It was, uh... Most people were watching the end of the Chiefs and yeah. Bills game, but we love you so much, we watched the Senate debate. So it was the incumbent uh, Todd Young. Uh, debating Democratic and Libertarian opponents last night. The moderator, uh, frequent guest on this program, Dr. Laura Wilson, a political science professor at the University of Indianapolis. Job well done last night, doctor. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. You are too kind. Um, I am doing well. And I will say the Colts had won beforehand. I think that gave enough of a test in our debate. You know, it would have been a lot harder if we were trying to compete against them. Um, but that helped us. I think. Kinda, I, I'm just curious, and we'll get to the debate and the ins and the outs, but since, I mean, I feel like we've known you for a long time, you've been coming on the show. I'm just fascinated that, you know, you're up there on stage with one of the 100 most powerful people in the country yes. and a couple of other guys that won his job. What what kind of work goes into uh, being a, a debate, debate moderator? I will start with um, a lot of work, quite frankly. And and if we do a really good job, I feel like as a moderator, you don't even notice that I'm there. It's keeping the candidates in line. It's asking the questions that were submitted to us by voters, making sure that everyone gets an opportunity to speak. If they want a rebuttal, they get it, being fair to everyone. Um, but there is a lot of prep on the back end. And in particular, I'm a part of the Indiana Debate Commission. I think they do a tremendous job of soliciting questions from Hoosiers all over the state. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, man, I had a question, right, we'll have another Senate race in two years. We'll have a gubernatorial race. There will be more debates. You should always submit those questions. But going through, we had over 300 questions submitted, um, lots of different topics, knowing you get 57 minutes. And it is a thrill and an honor, uh, but it is also really challenging in 57 minutes to allow the candidates to answer as many topics, as many um, questions as we can get to. It's uh, it's exciting, but it is a real challenge. And so a lot of prep work goes in, in the back end to make sure we prioritize the ones that we know we got a lot of questions about. And we, we want to do right by the candidates, too. We want to make sure we have a nice a mix of social issues, economic issues, just the whole thing. And so if if we do a good job, if, if I did a good job, the preparation made it seamless. Well, Dr. Uh, Laura, so I wish the candidates would have me. taken that same approach to their answers last night. I wish they would have prepped <laughs> as hard as you did. Uh, you were the best part of this thing last night. I'm going to read you a text that I sent to uh, Nigel and Rob Kendall. We have a group thread. We were watching the debate. Quote, Dr. Laura has to feel like Alex Trebek hosting Celebrity Jeopardy right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was my takeaway yeah. last night. Ever said. I think we were five nice. minutes away from somebody ringing in and just going, moo. That's where we were at with this debate last night. So, and by the way, I know you don't want to be the focal point here. Of the, it's always dangerous. You don't, you don't want to be Megyn exactly. Kelly up there with Donald Trump, right? Exactly. And I, if you, I mean, like truly, if the candidates are able to shine, and it is up to the candidates too. But I will yeah. tell you, all three gentlemen were absolutely wonderful. They are very respectful. This is their opportunity to spar against each other. Sometimes the debate's the only opportunity they get for that to be on the same stage to answer back questions to rebut. Uh, and as moderator, I think if I do a good job, I give them that opportunity, and it's the question of whether or not that they take it and then they use that. 
So let's get into the debate last night. We played some clips earlier in our show, uh, but for those who might not have heard that or did not watch the debate last night, what were some of the issues brought up and did anything kind of surprise you? You know, I, I think we tried to cover a smattering of issues. So we opened up with inflation. We talked about Medicare and Social Security. We talked about abortion. We talked about legalization. We talked about Ukraine. Hopefully for those who tuned in, um, and even for those who didn't, you can catch it. I'm sure it is posted somewhere out there on the web. But you, hopefully your question, your issue or smattering of issues was addressed. I, I think in general, I wasn't too surprised. Um, Todd Young is very eloquent. And as the incumbent, he had the ability to say what he's done in office. And he also has to respond to his record. And that's a unique position that the incumbent always has, that the challengers who want his job but don't actually have it, are in a little bit different position there. Um, McDermott was very aggressive. I think he had to be as a challenger. And then for James Siniak, you know, he's a little bit more low-key. He did take two rebuttals, which I think was a good uh, good option. It's something that you get to use in a debate and you should always take advantage of them if you have them. But as a whole, I thought every candidate performed in the way I expected them to. And I think they did a good job of stating their policies. If you caught it, if you watched the 57 or so minutes, I think you get a really good sense of who those candidates are, and it felt very true to self. I don't think anyone was was off the mark, so to speak. Were you surprised that the other candidates, Siniak and McDermott, didn't beat up on uh, the incumbent, Todd Young, a little bit more about the amount of spending that he's done in Washington? I know you guys kind of started that right out of the gate, and but I thought he would take a lot more heat from the other folks on the panel. It's almost like they let him off the hook with that. It's interesting. So, so Siniak didn't rebut quite as much. Um, he did take a few opportunities. McDermott rebutted quite a few times. And it felt like actually for most of the questions, there was a point in the debate where we looked like we were going to be not able to get through all the questions. So I paused the opportunity for rebuttals. Um, but I, I felt like they did a good job. There's always that balance. So if, if they had attacked too much, they, they risked the challenge of looking like all they're doing is running against him, but they don't stand for anything. And I think as a challenger, you want to be careful in that, that kind of tenuous balance because you don't want just to be the not incumbent. You want to be the candidate the voters would prefer. And that part is really tricky. I, I do think you saw some great sparring. I, I thought it was really exciting to see um, the political differences highlighted, especially between the Democrat McDermott and the Republican Young. And you've got a good sense of the policy differences, although whether or not they held each other accountable is always going to be a question. Were they did they do too much? Did they not do enough? I think that's going to be a personal preference and judgment there. Um, we're speaking with Dr. Laura Wilson moderating the um, uh, debate last night, the uh, U.S. Senate debate. Todd Young, uh, the incumbent, uh, along with Siniak and McDermott. Uh, um, what what do you think? Let, let me ask you a big picture question here, and we'll, we'll get back to this debate. But I'm curious of what's going on in Arizona and what you think of Carrie uh, uh, Lake and Katie Hobbs and Hobbs deciding not to do a debate with Carrie Lake. I'm, I'm wondering if you think, as a, as a political science professor, somebody that teaches this stuff, is that a good approach to take? Is that something you'd recommend to your students? Is like, well, no, I'm not going to debate you on these things. Generally, no, I would not recommend it. And for, for two reasons. As a political scientist, I do like uh, politics. And if you choose to abstain from a debate, you know, you're, you're essentially robbing voters. I don't know. Or at least you're not giving voters that opportunity to see you in a long form 
way to answer questions that, of course, you don't have control over, but also to respond to your opponent, also to criticize and challenge your opponent. Like, you miss that opportunity. And debates are very unique in providing that to voters. There's nothing quite like them. There's nothing quite else like them in American politics. I, I would make an argument there just for the sake of democracy alone. But also as a candidate, it's risky. So this is where it would kind of depend on your candidacy, and we could you know, talk about the specifics with the candidates. If you feel like you would have more to potentially lose than gain by participating, like quite frankly, applying rational choice theory to debate participation, you might say it's not worth it. If you, if you feel like you're up enough in the polls, if you feel like this would only be a greater risk, then perhaps you choose not to. But I think as a voter, I would want to know why. This is an opportunity to address a wide range of questions. Most of your ads are 30, 60 seconds. They're, you know, perfectly cultivated and you know, just short, short, short. This is an opportunity to respond to your opponent and to attack your opponent. And it's hard to imagine as a, an elected official, you wouldn't want that opportunity to display that in front of voters. And, and that said, it is a risk. Um, but generally, I if you're if you're a strong candidate, it's it's hard to imagine you wouldn't want to take the opportunity. Dr. Laura, uh, I thought about you on Saturday as I was sitting on my couch with a beer in my hand, my Tennessee Vols football jersey oh, on, I, watching oh. that ball go through the goalpost, <laughs> defeating your oh. Alabama Crimson Tide. <laughs> I was thinking, all right. I don't like any Alabama fans. And I thought, wait, wait, yes, I do. I like Dr. Laura Wilson. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud to be in that uh, group, I guess, by myself. I will tell you, it was, that was a tragic, hard-fought loss. Tennessee was amazing. I don't know where our defense was, but they weren't on the field that night. Um, and <laughs> well, doctor, thank you so much for joining us. And again, great job moderating that debate uh, last night. And uh, we'll get you back on as we get closer to midterms, if that's all right. I appreciate it. I would absolutely love to. And thank you again. It's always a privilege. Dr. Laura Wilson, professor of political science, University of Indianapolis. This is the Hammer and Nigel show. You're listening to The Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. I don't know if I buy this or not. The, uh, there's a website called Crossword Solver, and they determined what actor has dropped the most F-bombs in his career. In on terms screen F-bombs. F-bombs. I, if you were to just ask me off the top of my head, I would have said Sam Jackson. Right, that's kind of what he's known for, right? Yeah, mother effing snakes <laughs> right. on this effing plane, right? Um, but no, it's not. It's Joe Pesci. But this says this thing says he's said the f word two hundred and seventy two times in his various movies. Does that sound low to you? I would have thought that'd be much higher, considering he played angry mobster in like three or four movies. Yeah, well, two hundred and forty one of those. Out of the 272 F-bombs were from Casino. Okay. So I'm assuming the rest were from Goodfellas. Yeah, maybe, it's gotta Maybe be. my cousin Vinny. <laughs> uh, or or Gone Fishing with Danny Glover. <laughs> Remember that one? Some of those bad, awful movies in the mid-90s. He Joe tried Pesci to morph did. into a family man. He did. Like after Home Alone, it feels like he tried to be like family man. No F-bombs in Home Alone. I would have loved it, though. (laughs) Like, if someone puts, like, an iron and hits me in the face, you know, I'm dropping some (laughs) F-bombs. Al Pacino was second with 197. So I was going to say, Al Pacino as Scarface probably has to be up in the conversation. The devil's advocate. 
And then uh, what was that one with uh, he, he was Carlito's Way, Scent of a Woman. Those had some serious f bombs. And then from the from the Jay and Silent Bob movies, Jason Mewis. <laughs> yes, I could see that. 183 yes. f bombs. Uh, Leo DiCaprio was on the list with 144 f bombs. Wolf of Wall movies. Street. There's a few f bombs in that. Ton. Right? I bet that's where most of them came from. Seth Rogen has 140. Uh, but Sam Jackson, he only made it to 20th place on the list with a meager 85. I don't know if I believe that. Or I just don't, He's got to have more than 85, right? It feels like there were that many in Snakes on a Plane alone. Yeah. Um, this list didn't just stop at the F-bomb. They determined the actors who said the S-word Oh, the most. Denzel is the king of the S-word <laughs> with 84 S-bombs, uh, most of them in Training Day. Great movie. Uh, followed by uh, Shia LaBeouf, Ben Affleck, Sam Jackson. I don't know if I buy all these. Like I, I every just, time I've seen Samuel L. Jackson in something, it's like you're waiting for it. It's the iconic moment yeah. where he's going to say an F-bomb. The first time I think I ever recall seeing Samuel L. Jackson was in Coming to America yeah. when he was robbing the McDowell's. Yeah. Anybody move, I'll blow your bleeping head off. You know what I was watching, uh, let's see, Saturday night after everybody went to bed, Lindsay went to bed early, and I started watching Eddie Murphy Raw on Netflix. Oh, wow. And that opening sequence, do you remember how the, the little Eddie Murphy is perform he's like a little kid and he's performing fart jokes in front of his family for Thanksgiving right. or whatever. Sam Jackson is on the couch. Yes, he is. Laughing his butt off at, at a young Eddie Murphy in that, that opening scene before Eddie Murphy actually takes the stage. The young man was Rudy's best friend in Cosby show later, like later really? on. Really? Yes. And if you remember also, because I watched Raw recently too, like they do some man on the street interviews and one of them is the Wayan sister. Uh, Kimberly, uh, is that her know, name? Because I think Keenan produced it. Yeah. So they have young Kimberly as someone who's there to see Eddie Murphy. I watched Raw, and then I watched uh, uh, Richard Pryor, that old Richard Pryor stand-up. Dude, that's a great night. I mean, I, I was crying. <laughs> I, can't believe, I cannot believe what some of those guys got away with back then, too, on stage. Right. I had for, totally forgotten about it. Uh, when we come back, we will have... A check-in with COVID-19. Oh, boy. And Jim Acosta, what is his future at CNN? We'll take a trip down memory lane to refresh your memory on who he is. That's next. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. Hope everybody had an awesome weekend. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into it. Let's do... An update here about COVID-19. COVID-19. Oh, I swear that I mean at this moment. There are three vaccines. China. China piss off. China. Nigel Solo coming up. We're all nervous. Hit it. Because of COVID-19. Dr. Fauci, the Fauci, as the kids might call him, um, he did an interview with ABC this past weekend. Now, his TV appearances have been slowing down a little bit now that most of the country has moved past COVID, which has to bring a tear coming out of Fauci's well, he's, eye. he's retiring. 
Oh, sure. By the way, sure. He's retiring. So. Hopefully trying to get out of there before the Republicans take the House yeah. and have uh, hearing after hearing to ultimately fire him. But he sat down with ABC and the subject of the lockdowns and the closures and kids not going to school came up. And once again, Fauci claims he had nothing to do <laughs> with kids not going to school. Okay. But I've said we've got to do everything we can to keep the schools open. No one plays that clip. They always come back and say Fauci was responsible for closing schools. I had nothing yeah. to do. I mean, you're, I you're, mean let's you're... get down to the facts. Is he crazy? Is he just an old delusional fool that's trying to gaslight everybody? I'm going to say yes to all of those I mean, things. Like, I mean, back in April of 2020, DeSantis opened the schools right away. Fauci slammed DeSantis. Oh, kids are going to get infected with the coronavirus. Uh, I think in August of that year, he said in an interview that the, the future involved months and months and months of virtual learning and continued to call to keep schools, quote, physically closed. And just last week, <sighs> we saw the numbers come out of this year's seniors, the class of 2023, the ACT scores, the SAT scores, the lowest in almost 30 years. So that's what these lockdowns have done to our kids in schools. But Fauci, he claims all of a sudden he had no hand in recommending or telling local governments shut things down. But let's just roll the tape. I recommended to the president that we shut the country down. Oh. And the only way to do that is by draconian means of essentially shutting down the country. Okay. We know that we can do that if we shut down. Well, I think one of the things you really need to do to the extent that you can shut down mm. temporarily mm. the country, I think is important. Well, if I knew at the time <laughs> that shutting down would have such a dramatic effect on controlling the spread, obviously we would have shut down earlier. What? For those who say you shut down, you dis destructive things by disrupting the economy. And others say, well, if you're sections by shutting down, why didn't you shut down two weeks earlier? But I don't regret saying <laughs> no that the only way that. we could have really stopped the explosion of infection was by essentially, um, I want to say shutting down. And now he's trying to act like he wasn't the face of the White House during this public health crisis, quote unquote, by gaslighting everybody and saying, I wasn't me, but wasn't he the one that said he was the science? He was the science. You just, you just played clip after clip of him uh, speaking science. And now he wants to, he wants to, you know, retire and, and pretend like he didn't leave a wake of uh, wreckage of, of students uh, w with the public school systems. Um, just, just, you know, he's just trying to sh shrug it off like it never happened. The I very first clip it. there was the one where yeah. he says, I recommended shutting things down. That's it. Don't buy it. We, we played an extra 55 seconds. We didn't need to. <laughs> that one first yeah. clip was all we needed right there. Um, proving once again, CNN's not really trying to become hard news and centrist and down the middle. Turns out Jim Acosta will not be leaving CNN. I was reading all weekend long about Acosta possibly getting fired from CNN, uh, seeing that on social media. 
Because CNN has done a little bit of house cleaning. They've changed their lineup around. They got rid of the thumb. Uh, they Lubin Tubin. Lubin Tubin's no longer there. Uh, but Jim Acosta, who was rumored to possibly be leaving, um, is going to stick around. Mediaite reported that the rumors were not true, and a source close to CNN confirmed the report. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the work of one Jim Acosta, because let's be honest, he's not been as <laughs> visible since Donald Trump's not been around lately. He's got like one hour on TV on the weekend that nobody watches on CNN. Right. Nobody watches their primetime lineup through the week, (laughs) let alone their horrible weekend stuff. Um, Let's take a trip down memory lane here. Some great moments in Trump Acosta history. Your campaign had an ad showing migrants climbing over walls and so on. They weren't actors. They're not going to be doing that. They weren't actors. (laughs) Well, no, it's true. Do you think they were actors? They weren't actors. They didn't come from Hollywood. You know, it happened a few days ago. And, uh, they're hundreds of miles away, though. They're hundreds and hundreds of miles you know away. That, that's I not an invasion. Should, honestly, uh, I think you should let me run the country. You run CNN. All right. And if you did it well, your ratings well, let me would be ask, much if better. I, if I may okay, ask one enough. other question, Mr. President, if I may, if I may ask one other question, are you worried? That's enough. I've put down the mic. <laughs> are you worried about indictments coming down in this investigation? I'll tell you what. CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude terrible person you shouldn't be working for cnn <laughs> i kind of missed the back and forth of these two uh too, one more here great moments in trump acosta history since you're attacking us can you give us a question go since ahead. you're no mr president-elect go mr. ahead president-elect ahead. since you are attacking no, our news not organization you. not can you. you give us a chance your organization you are attacking our news organization can you give us a chance to ask a question sir go ahead sir can you state mr president-elect go ahead you say categorically question don't be president-elect can you give us a question don't be attacking us can you give us a question don't love it can you give us a question i'm not going to give you a question can you state categorically you are fake news wasn't that the one one of them, he, uh, uh, an aide of Trump tried to take the microphone, a female uh, aide tried to take the microphone out of Acosta's hands, and he kind of hit her, kind of shrugged her off with his elbow. Right. Remember that? Right. That I was... kind of missed the back and forth, man. I got to be honest. I do. Some people don't. I love a good circus, and you can't have circus without that clown. Uh, so Jim Acosta <laughs> coming back for another round. Uh, For those who watched the Sunday night football game last night, the Eagles hosting the Dallas Cowboys before the game, Dr. Jill Biden got on the field. She was out there with a bunch of, I think it was like cancer awareness or cancer survivor people or something. But keep in mind, Philadelphia booed Santa Claus. So it doesn't matter what the cause is. Now on TV, you couldn't hear the boo birds coming down. But social media blew up with it. Uh, Here's a couple different recordings of the real reaction of Philly fans when Dr. Jill was announced to come out before the game. Now that's one video. There's another video oh, where wow. somebody who was sitting a little higher up was able to get more audio. Now I've had to beep this out because a very popular chant started to break out. Not even 
Joe. That's the good doctor, Dr. Jill, yeah. uh, making her way down for the uh, wow the ball game. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. My name is Nigel. Hammer right over there with a special guest on the drivehubler.com hotline. Danny Lopez is the vice president for external affairs and corporate communications for your Indiana Pacers. And the Pacers are out and about right now. Four different Kroger locations passing out some gas and some groceries. Really? Danny, what's going on, man? What's the uh, what's the latest? What's happening? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we are. The, these guys are out and about. We're at four Kroger locations handing out $25,000 worth of uh, gift cards for groceries and gas, pumping gas, bagging groceries, and just having a great time to say thank you as we as we get ready, ready to tip off the season on, on Wednesday. So the Pacers, they start this season Wednesday. It's a home game against the Washington Wizards. But right now, there are four different Kroger locations. I'm looking at it from the uh, Pacers' official Twitter here, which we've retweeted. There's Southeast Street, East 10th Street, Crawfordsville Road, and East 65th Street. So, Danny, if somebody is nearby or maybe they want to make the trip to one of these locations, what's going to happen? Come on out. I'm actually at the Speedway location right now, and you can come out. You come out to the uh, to the gas station, the Kroger gas station. Uh, our teams are out there pumping gas with gift cards in hand. And if you come into the store, uh, the players are in here. They're taking pictures. They're signing autographs, giving away tickets. Um, and giving away gift cards for groceries, uh, at, you know, for Kroger. Kroger is such a great partner in this. And again, this was just an effort to to get the guys out, get them engaged, and also say thanks to our fans. Yeah, it's a big thank you to the fans because, especially with gas prices, what they are right now, and food prices, what they are right now. Did you say twenty five thousand dollars in gas and groceries? That's what you're 25. giving away. Twenty five thousand in gas That's and groceries crazy. are what we're giving away, plus pr- probably two, three thousand. Uh, tickets as well to to the upcoming uh, games to start the season. So a lot going on, a lot of buzz. There's tons of people mobbing these guys right now and just having a great time. And, And the best part about it is they're having a blast. Big smiles. Everybody's enjoying it. Hey, Danny, I uh, I was just at the Indianapolis International Airport flying to and from uh, Florida, and I saw the new Pacers restaurant in there. Yeah. That looks yeah. awesome. Yeah, we stopped by for a quick drink. That place is awesome. My kids it's are doing awesome. the Papa shots in there. That's uh, so. So the day that it opened, we went out there. And we're, we're doing like forty-five minutes worth of pop shop. But absolutely, <laughs> it's an awesome spot. It's well situated. It's a great partnership with the airport and with Host Marriott. And so, um, and so, we're excited to have people that are coming to visit us now, see the brand, and be able to stop in and, and, and eat at the restaurant. And obviously, people flying out too. Uh, Danny Lopez is with the Indiana Pacers. He joins us. The Pacers right now are at four different locations, uh, Kroger locations, uh, East Street, 10th Street, Crawfordsville, and 65th Street. How long are you guys going to be out there today, Danny? We're going to be out here until uh, until we run out of gift cards. But I tell anybody, if they want to come out and, and get this, they should come out now and they should hurry because we're going to run out pretty quick. You know, People are excited. They're, 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 uh, they're engaging with these guys. And so we'll be out here until we run out of uh, out of cards. Now, for those who haven't uh, followed the Pacers for whatever reason, this is a young squad here. Uh, I'm a Pacer fan. I've been following this team. I like what the Pacers are doing here, man. It's a young core. It's, you know, I love this kid that they drafted out of Arizona. Seems like he's yeah. got a real motor to him, Matherin. Uh, tell us a little bit about the squad. 
he's you know he's exciting and he's a gym rat and he's got an edge and he's a real good player and, and there's just a ton of young talent you, you hit the nail on the head there's a ton of young talent you got uh, you got Tyrese and you got Chris and you got I mean it's just people are excited um, and it's going to be a fun team it's going to be an exciting team to watch uh, and it's going to be a good product when people come out to the field house and of course you're coming out to to a renovated building like we've talked about before. Yeah. Uh, the building looks just unbelievable. So people are going to have a good time. Fans are going to have a great time when they come out to the game. What's all that construction that's outside of uh, the field house? I, I keep seeing these renderings, and I'm I'm hearing different things, but yep. give me the straight-up answer here. What's it going to look like once that's done? So when that is done to the north of the building, it's going to be Bicentennial Unity Plaza. It'll be a, a, a basketball court in the summer and the fall. We'll have an ice skating rink in the winter. It's bigger than the one at Rockefeller Center. Um, wow. And it's just going to be a lot of public art, a lot of green space. We're going to do everything from watch parties to sunrise yoga and everything in between. It'll be a great, great gathering space. And it's a place uh, right in the heart of our downtown that people can you know, come to, get pictures uh, of with the public art, and, and just a place to be, which makes a lot of fun. And when, that, when the jail building is, is done, when the jail is renovated and you've got the city-county building, um, and, you know, we're putting the entertainment complex right on the plaza. I mean, pretty soon this whole quadrant of downtown is just going to be uh, look very different than what it looks like uh, today. So you, it's, have to, it's you have to, Danny, you have to promise if, if I buy uh, some yoga pants for me and Hammer, <laughs> you got to let us lead one of those morning yoga sessions. Yeah, but it's got, but it's got, but it's got to be some of those that are transparent. <laughs> no, on second thought, never mind. We like our job, so do you. I don't think the, I don't think you want that. All right, man. Um, one more time, let everybody know what's going on and uh, these four Kroger locations here. What is happening with the Pacers right now? Given guys are out here, they're giving away twenty five thousand dollars worth of gift cards for groceries and gas. Come on out, plus tickets. Get your picture taken, get an autograph, and just engage with these guys. They'd love to see you out here. And this is forty two oh two Southeast Street, forty four forty five East Tenth Street, fifty seven eighteen Crawfordsville Road, and twenty six twenty nine East sixty fifth Street. We've tweeted that out at Hammer and Nigel. Awesome. And again, the uh, Pacers opening night Wednesday at the Fieldhouse against Washington. Cool. Danny, take care, man. Have fun and. Uh, Make sure you pass out all those gift cards. Give the people what they want. Thanks, guys. And a big thank you to all the fans uh, that have been supporting us for years. We, we love you. The best fans in the NBA. We can't wait to see you out here and at the Fieldhouse. Right on. Thank you. It's survival in the city. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. Nigel, Jason Hammer right over there. We also have a very special guest in the studio. Randy Swindle is running for the Sheriff of Marion County, joining us. Randy, how you doing, man? Mondays, you know, it's always interesting. We talk a lot of crime here, uh, but uh, good to see you in studio. It's great. Thank you for having me today. Randy, what's a little bit about your, your background before we get started? We talk about the, you know, this uh, this race and some of the stuff happening in the city. What's, what's your background in law enforcement? Well, I have t- about 24 years of law enforcement experience. I was with the sheriff's office, retired in 19, and then I'm currently uh, with IMPD. Uh, I run East District, uh, second shift for middles. So I'll be going in later on this afternoon and listening to your show. Oh, well, thank you. You're going to have something to pass the time, I'm, right, sure. I'm right. sure. I'm sure it's so calm and boring there over there in the East District. Not, not a lot of action. <laughs> Let's just say I go home mentally and physically exhausted. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, wait a minute, Randy. How could that possibly be because the prosecutor in Marion County said basically everything's fine. Indy is safe. He said it twice during a debate. Nothing to see here. Well, I think most people, 
when they pick up the uh, you know social media, Facebook, even your show. We're not stupid. We we see what's going on. And just before we move forward here, you're speaking to us just on behalf of you, not on behalf of the IMPD or anything like that, right? That's correct. My views are my personal views, and they're personal. We always have to get that disclaimer out there. That's fancy talk for don't be a Karen. If you don't like something Randy has to say, take it up with us and not him. How about that? Um, So what is your thoughts on Marion County right now? Well, it's it's exhausting. Most of us, you know, if you, if you go out downtown, um, we were just talking today on the way over. This used to have a great vibe. The, you know, there's no vibe in downtown Indianapolis anymore. People are afraid to come downtown, even bring their kids. You know, come down the canal. We're walking downtown in a circle, going out to eat. Um, you could tell that by with some of the businesses that are closing. Um, the city of Indianapolis has, has gone quite down. And it's a shame because we deserve better than that. It feels like a lot of the citizens are starting to wise up and look at who has an agenda here, right? Because when we found out that that Starbucks was going to close last week, there's an indie star writer that's like, well, it's not really because of crime. It's because of something else. People aren't stupid. They can come downtown in the evening and they can see what they want to see. I mean, sometimes it's not a safe place to be downtown. And these businesses, they're tired of having aggressive panhandlers and homeless and even worse, hanging out outside of their businesses. Yeah, they're tired of that and they're tired of their, you know kids running amok downtown you know running on the canal running you know down where it used to be the old circle center mall so again we got to get into you know hopefully getting back to our grassroots of Indianapolis is what founded most of us is coming down being safe eating out allowing our kids and, and children to, to play safe and don't have to worry about the sex offenders and and uh, the homeless people that are downtown we got to do a better job as a city and um, as also running for the sheriff's office and and, you know, with IMPD to get downtown here and, and let's let's make it safer for everybody. Can you talk, can you talk about what the, your your relationship is or the IMPD's relationship is with the community and especially, especially some of these high crime areas, some of these hot spots? You know, overall, I believe the relationship between the, the police department and the citizens are great. They, they work very hard and people really knew, you know, how hard, you know, a lot of times our days are canceled. We're coming in our days off. We're working over. We're bringing other officers in for overtime to supplement uh, some of that, including jail transportation, which, you know, the sheriff's office has taken away. And, you know, we're out in the community, and the community wants it to be safe again. They're coming out, and I, I, you can see the pendulum swing a little bit back towards the middle because they're coming out and thanking us for our service. They understand mm. how difficult it is. They understand you got young um, officers of five years or less are leaving the department for other paying jobs. Do law enforcement officers in Marion County feel like they're supported by the elected leaders of the city? I believe that some of the leadership is supportive, but overall they do not. Makes sense. I mean, we've heard this before. We've had uh, FOP President Rick Snyder on here before. Yeah. He said morale is at an all-time low right now. And I think a lot of that comes from... You know, from your perspective, Randy, when you have to arrest the same people over and over again, this revolving door of the justice system, and then you see these press conferences where, whether it's the prosecutor, whether it's the mayor, whoever it is, basically going up there in CYA mode, justifying why the police are the problem more so than the actual criminals. And outside looking in, you can see why that would look that way. You know, the other problem is, you know, people expect us to go out and do our jobs, and when you got a prosecutor. Or, or so forth that won't file charges on an individual uh, because he or she feels like it's not necessary or they feel that 
you know, the priority's not there, it has an effect on us. You know, if if we're going to go out and chase somebody because they held you up a robbery and, and, and they took your wallet, you know, well, again, it goes back to, you know, we have to ask permission to chase after somebody. And then we have to do, you know, what they call blue teams, which is one report, which is very delicate, that has to go to the, the Citizen Review Board. So a lot of that is, if you know, most people don't understand, well, why you can't do this is because what has taken place over the last two or three years. Randy Swindle is our guest. He is running for the sheriff of Marion County. Uh, what would you do different? If you were elected and you won, what would be different under a Swindle administration? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. Some of the things that I would be glad to change was, you know, I, I owe the sheriff's office nothing. So when I left and retired, I'm not a politician. I don't pay to play. Uh, we sent out a, a press release uh, last week saying, that, you know, the sheriff should not accept uh, contributions from those employees because they feel pressured to to, uh, mm-hmm. to pay. So a lot of these employees have been there 10, 15 years under the same type of administration. And when you get that top heavy, you know, you get, you know, X amount of captains and majors making seventy, hundred thousand 100000 a year, they're not going to go anywhere. So with my business background as a small business owner and, and knowledge of the police, I'm going to go in and move some people around to help alleviate um, some of those positions. You, you, you know, Yes, you have some vacancies, but a lot of it is a staffing issue. So I would take some of those people, move them downstairs to intake. You know, For example, I made a comment the other day, it, sometimes it takes up to four hours to get one prisoner in. And if it's your loved one or your uncle, your dad, or somebody unfortunately got arrested, it shouldn't take four hours to get them processed. Not only that, it takes two IMPD officers off the street because yep. they don't have a, a wagon to do that. And when you take two people off the street, you as a citizen call, no one's coming because we're shorthanded. Who's your opponent or opponents? Uh, the current sheriff that's in there now. He's okay. the uh, he's rerunning uh, for a second term. Okay. He's been in that office on and off over 30-plus years. What's the current relationship between the sheriff's office and the IMPD? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe we've heard that there was some drama earlier this year about whose responsibility it was to yeah. take care of some of these uh folks that have been arrested that's correct i think you know as, as i talk to the impd officers and, and other agencies you know, from southport to homecroft to whoever i have a great working relationship with them so if or when elected my relationship with those individuals towns and cities including impd will have a better working relationship um, and make it more of a team effort because they know you know they're going to be able to count on us to to fix some of these issues we're going to bring the jail wagon program back we as citizens, we pay into a public safety tax. What's the jail wagon program? Let's back up just a second. It's with transportation of prisoners to and from um, uh, the new justice center or old lockup. Okay. So, for example, your city and towns, a lot of times you pay in that public safety tax, and that's part of that that you provide transportation for, like a city of Southport or Cumberland or Lawrence, um, to transport their prisoners to, to lockup. Okay. So what's the biggest problem right now with the sheriff's office with the incumbent in place what's the biggest problem I, they have multiple problems i mean including you know anything from sex offenders that you know over 1800 of them have warrants you know he's only done you know it looks like five arrested or 51 compliance checks and he's been out in the news media here the last couple of weeks and compared to the last three years his responsibility is to them his responsibility is to for example they've had four inmate deaths that no one's talking about um, since he moved into the new facility, that's four, and over you know, over, that's just in th- just in one year he's got over twenty uh, plus. Is my understanding, according to wow. some uh, um, reports, including um, if you understand Reuters, there was a guy that did um, a Reuters. Uh, 
thing about oh, about two years ago did an independent survey of all the jails and it was a two-year deal and it was based on uh, it was peter eisner i'm gonna screw up his last name but over two-year research showed marion county deaths were two or three times higher than anywhere else in the country wow and when it's safer to be outside here on the street than inside that says a lot four this year over 20 in the last three years and that include that is a go back to his time as as an administrator under a previous sheriff's. So, Randy, if somebody wants more information on your campaign, where can they go? Please go to www.swindleforsheriff. Look for the donation. Where we've got three weeks left. We're trying to hammer some of the stuff hard. We're trying to bring it home to, to allow people to, to go on and, and uh, uh, vote and, and look at individual uh, races, including myself. We, uh, we hope that they would vote for us and also donate to our campaign. Swindle for Sheriff. Randy Swindle, Swindle for Sheriff. Thank you so much for coming in. Guys, thanks for having me on there. Call anytime. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. Coming up after 6 o'clock, an entire hour of the Hammer and Nigel Show. We watched the U.S. Senate debate last night, so you wouldn't have to. Some highlights, some lowlights, also some shall we say, interesting stats coming out of Central Indy over the weekend. Maybe disturbing is uh, more of an appropriate word. This may come as a surprise to a lot of people. Make sure you're sitting down. There was some violence in Indianapolis no over the weekend. Shocker. What's weird, though, Nige, is that the prosecutor, who's up for election here in a couple weeks, says, safe, safe, everything's fine, nothing to see here, it's all safe. He's, he's literally uh, Frank Drebin in front of the fireworks <laughs> stand that's blowing up in Naked Gun. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Please disperse. Pure chaos going on behind him. I had, I had fun watching that Colts game yesterday. I didn't get to see your Tennessee Vols game. I know that was the game of the weekend, probably. Dude. Uh, I spent uh, I spent four hours up at Pat Sullivan's place on 70, uh, uh, like 100 and some, Allisonville Road, wherever that is. I got the, like the pumpkin train there. Kids loved it, by the way. But Four so hours at the pumpkin yeah, train. <laughs> at least, at least Sullivan knows how to. I mean, I drank four hours worth of beer. Okay, sure so that's why, the, why that was four why hours. The, why the kids were playing. So I didn't Dude, get to see Tennessee and Alabama. It was the best college football game I've seen in a long time, and I'm not just saying this as a Tennessee homer, right? Which I am, but. I'm trying to think about great college football games in recent memory. The kick six game where Auburn returned the field goal all the way back. Yeah. That USC-Texas national championship game. You know, Vince Young and Matt Leiner going at it. This game wasn't, you know, as big as that. I mean, it's two teams ranked in the top six. But, man, what a great game. And for the first time in 15 years, Tennessee finally beats Alabama. And what's your, what's your history with the Vols? Why do you, you know— so Why my grandpa big... got me into it when I was younger. All right. Because so if you remember a... back when like cable first came out, WTBS, it was like the Atlanta station, sure, yeah, station yeah. of the South. The only things they ever had on TV were like Braves baseball, Andy yeah. Griffith, wrestling, <laughs> and SEC football. Okay. So my grandpa got me into SEC football, and I was you know kind of a Tennessee guy because he was. And then, as luck would have it, uh, my wife, who 
went to school in Indianapolis, right. Ben Davis product, the yeah. coupon lady. Uh, she happened to be a student at the University of Tennessee when we met. There you go. So all right, it all comes full circle, baby. And, and, and I had fun watching the Colts game yesterday. I, mean, I actually had some uh, neighbors wandering in and out of my garage, had the TV going, some beers, and it was actually it was frustrating at times, but uh, it was exciting there towards the end. And now I like how we're all like, hey, they're going to the Super Bowl now, aren't they? <laughs> I can't wait to see them in the playoffs. We beat the Jags by one score at home. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> we want the Bills. <laughs> Be sure to catch us every weekday, 3 to 7 on 93 WIBC or subscribe and get it right to your phone.